Today I'm reading an excerpt from chapter four of Early One Morning by Virginia Bailey. And I'm staying with 1943 at the moment, which is where I started this uh, podcast. In between in the book, there is um, some area of the storyline, which um, flits to 1973 and what's happening then and the whole basis of the book. But I thought it kind of relevant to just read on a little bit more where I started, which is not the full works, obviously, it's just an excerpt and just to give you a flavour of the book itself. So chapter four. Chiara is making an early lunch to sustain them on their journey into the hills to Nonna's house. She has thrown some pasta into a pan of boiling water and is examining the available ingredients, the end of a cooked ham, a couple of onions, working out what she can concoct. Cooking always provides respite, whatever else is going on. She can descend into the calm of food preparation and provision. It is the one thing that she owns to inheriting from her mother. She is looking at the pink pieces of ham. He doesn't eat ham from a pig, she thinks, but then he has to eat. She glances at the windowsill where she grows herbs in pots. It is October and the pickings are thin though. The sage has wilted and is dry to the touch. All the juice is squeezed out of everything these days. They live in desiccated times. She feels the soil, it is like dust. The child is staring at Cecilia, who is circling the table round and round in her stocking feet, asking him questions, talking in a babyish voice, as if they are both little kids getting to know each other in the playground. What's your name? My name's Cecilia, Cecilia asks the boy, as she swishes past and he watches her, goggle-eyed. Cecilia. Again, she says, stretching the syllables, opening out her arms and greeting an imaginary audience. Chiara can detect imprint of her own fingers, red and mottled on Cecilia's cheek. She had to stop the screaming, she tells herself, but she can still feel the shock waves from the blow, a stinging in her palm, a burning heat in her own cheeks, as if she too has been struck. I don't want it. Take it back, Cecilia had screamed on being told that the child was to stay with them. And before Chiara had known it, she had found herself on the other side of the room. Her hand had flicked out and she had slapped her sister's pale cheek so hard that Cecilia's head had swung sideways and, and a loose hairpin flying out had pinged against the wall. Not an it, a he, a little boy, Chiara had said. Swivelling away, her fists bunching off, bunching as if spoiling for more, she had hurried from the room, gathering up the child, cowering in the doorway, pulling the door to behind them to dampen the gasping sound Cecilia was now making, bustling the boy along with her here into the kitchen, as if by her haste in fetching him away from the scene she could lessen its impact. She had pulled out of a chair for him, told him to take off his coat and sit, but he remained standing, his arms at his sides, his fists curled, as tight as her own had been a moment earlier. As she stepped away from him, fetched cutlery from the drawer, filled the pan with water, there stirred within her the near certainty that this child had witnessed and experienced more violence in this last two hours than ever in his life before. Despite the privations, despite the laws that had made him and his family into second-class citizens, he came from a home where kindness and respect prevailed, and hands were not raised in anger. I'm sorry, she said when Cecilia came in a few minutes later. I'm sorry that I smacked you. 
but Cecilia, who had pulled out the remaining hairpins so that her hair hung loose and wild, took no notice, and embarked on her ungainly sliding warts instead. There is a likeness to the onion in Carrara's hand that tells her it will be mushy inside. The magnitude of what she has done washes over her again, and she stands there at a loss. The face of the boy's mother comes into her mind. She clutches for the name that was on the tag that she tore out with her teeth. Signora Levy, she pronounces and nods at the boy, who looks up at her with luminous eyes. Your mother, Signora Levy, asked me to look after you while she is away. She said you were a good boy. Cecilia flows about the kitchen, opening out her arms and closing them as if she is swimming. Chiara keeps her focus on the boy as Cecilia brushes past. Take off your coat and sit down at the table now like a good boy, she says, and he does. Now, she says in courage, we will pretend that your name is not Levy anymore because the bad soldiers are looking for all people called Levy. She stares at him, wondering how much he understands. He stares back. Just for now, your name she casts about, is Gaspari. It was her fiancé, uh, fiance Carlo's surname. As she articulates Carlo's name, she pictures him leaning out of the window of the bus that took him away into e internal exile for anti-fascist activities. She sees him again, kissing his hand and blowing the kiss to her, and she has the fleeting sensation of that kiss finally reaching its destination. Oh, she says, and runs the onion-tasting fingers over her lips, trying to catch and hold the feeling. I'll be back before you have time to miss me, he had said. But he had been wrong. If they had married before he left, instead of just getting engaged, if she had been with child, then their son would have been more or less the age of this little boy, who now turns from her and resumes his examination of Cecilia. Usually it gets on Chiara's nerves when Cecilia behaves in this baby girl fashion, but now she's grateful, because it seems that Cecilia is making an effort, reaching out to the child. Perhaps unlikely, though it seems, Chiara was right to slap her. Perhaps she should have done it years ago. She lowers her gaze to the chopping board, picks up her knife and slices sharply through the first onion. Inside, as she expected, it is soft and half rotten. Cecilia undulates by, holding a hand now to her scorched cheek, chanting her own name to the tune Chiara, invented twenty years ago or more. Cecilia Teresa Ravello, tra-la-la-la-la, she sings as if mocking, but her sister lacks that kind of gen uh, guile. Chiara chops the onions carefully, cutting out the soft brownish-green parts and throwing them away, but not wasting even the tiniest sliver of what is usable. There is no oil. There will be oil up in the hill, she thinks, but stops her mind from floating off there. There is the journey to manage first. She throws the onion pieces in with the pasta just for the last minute to soften them. She drains the pasta and tosses it with the pieces of ham. She, she snaps off some sage leaves, crumbles them in to add flavour. There are plenty of dried chilies left, but do children eat chilies? She doesn't know. She won't risk it. The boy is mesmerised by Cecilia. Daniele, he whispers. How old are you, she says. Nearly eight, he says. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That is seven, she says. Seven, he repeats. Have you got any brothers or sisters, Cecilia asks. She pauses beside Chiara, leans in and sniffs the cooking pot. Her thick black hair hangs down, masking her face. Chiara can smell her sister's hair, perfumed and dark. Two little sisters, the boy says. 
his voice is louder this time. Another one coming soon, he adds, as Cecilia t curls away and swishes round the room again. And it seems that perhaps, after all, it will work like this, that Cecilia and the boy, both mistreated and manhandled by Chiara, will become allies. And Chiara, what will her role be? Of course, she will be the wicked stepmother, half provider, half tyrant, and they, their two misfit children, her two misfit children, will gang up and comfort each other, whisper secrets and turn their stony faces towards her when addressed, and she will have to bear it and find her comfort elsewhere if she can, or do without. Cecilia pauses and takes hold of the chair back opposite the boy. He does a clumsy plie and then lifts one foot, pointing it out to the side. She used to be a good dancer when she was little, before the fits. My mamma is dead, she says sweetly, dead, dead, dead. She leans toward the boy, her face an inch from his, and she says, what about yours? Kiara's heart seems to stop for a second. She stands holding the two-handled pot in front of her, the steam rising, and with it the pungent scent of the sage, so that she is wreathed in a herb-infused mist. Through this she observes the other two. The boy's mouth opens, but no sound emerges. Kiara doesn't know what understanding shivers through him in that moment, but she sees it enter his jaw and stiffen it, clamping his teeth together. The silent inflates, occupies the corners of the room and travels up to the ceiling. Then Cecilia punctures it. She starts to hum a tune. It's that song from the musical she likes about to path, about the path through the wood. So there we have another excerpt from this book, which is very harrowing, very harrowing at times and very um, emotional. And we're just finding out a little bit about what may happen with the boy that's brought into the family by Chiara and her sister Cecilia and what happens when they get to Nonna's house in the hills. I'll try to read another excerpt that's going to be really enlightening for you in the next few days. Thank you.